Good evening. I'm Marcus Leader, and I would like to invite you on a journey of discovery as I pull back the veil and give you a glimpse of the multiverse through the eyes of a Toltec shaman. So sit back, relax, turn up the volume, and turn down the lights. You're now listening to The Shaman's Brew. Hello, and thank you for joining me for another episode of one of my fireside teachings. In these teachings, it is my intention to share with you some of my own knowledge and personal experience that I have acquired on my own path of discovery. Since many of the lessons that were taught to me by my shamanic mentor were done around a campfire, uh, I am bringing that atmosphere to you as you can hear the campfire in the background. Uh, So I would like to invite you to pull up a chair or a rock or a tree stump and, and sit across from me as I share my stories with you. In the first part of the show, I'm going to be sharing with you my knowledge of power plants and how best to use their abilities. In the second half of the show, after the break, I'm going to be talking to you about the powers and abilities that shaman have through their shamanic awareness and how you too can uh, reproduce this awareness in a much shorter time than you what you might normally think. Now since most of my lessons were were done at night uh, near the witching hour, many of them in the desert, I would like to set the mood for this episode with a little song sung by Crystal Gale called Midnight in the Desert. This is a song that uh, we wrote for a late night talk show radio host, Art Bell. And we had a, a great time writing this one. Midnight in the desert Shooting stars across the sky It's a magical journey To take a sun arrive Filled with the longing Searching for the truth Will we make it till tomorrow Will the sun shine on Midnight in the desert And we're listening Ooh, we're listening to you Midnight in the desert 
explore a topic that I think many of you will find most interesting. I'm going to talk with you about herbs and power plants, what they are and how to use them. For those of you who are new listeners, I was most fortunate to be an apprentice to a very wise and powerful Toltec shaman for eight years. Much of what he taught me is information that has for the last 480 years been handed down from teacher to student by word of mouth alone. I have a book coming out soon that tells of this apprenticeship and reveals many of the word of mouth teachings, which, by the way, I have been given permission to reveal these teachings to a certain degree. In this show, I will be discussing the proper method of harvesting herbs and power plants, their preparation and use, and a very powerful method for charging and empowering your herbs that I do not think any of you have ever encountered. We're going to talk about healing herbs, psychotropic or mind-altering herbs and plants, and real aphrodisiacs. So, what is the difference between an herb and a power plant? Technically, herbs can be considered to be power plants with a lower energetic resonance, while a power plant is a plant with a high energetic resonance and a consciousness that a human can interact with. Another way to look at it is to see the plants or herbs as entities containing an awareness and a spirit. Shamans learn early on that all plants have a spirit and awareness to the world around them although it is a little different from human awareness. For example, the tea you drink comes from a leaf or some manner of herb and is aware of its existence before and after it is harvested for use. But its awareness of the human doing the harvesting or consuming it is very weak and is more of a uh, cognizant uh, awareness of an event taking place. 
It knows if it's harvested for a positive action intended for the benefit of another or if it is a careless, malicious action. The plant being harvested will react directly to the manner in which it is being harvested by changing its magical properties and sometimes physical properties in either a positive or negative manner. This change can sometimes be detected in the taste or smell of an herb or more likely it will change the effectiveness of the plant's magical properties by reducing the potency of the results or negating it entirely. This is one reason why I strongly recommend that you either gather your own herbs and plants for magical workings or at least get them from a source that can be trusted to have harvested them in a respectful, sacred manner. When shamans refer to power plants, they are speaking about a class of plants that has so much stored etheric energy and awareness that the spirit of the plant actually has the ability to communicate with the shaman and convey knowledge in a series of thought forms sometimes referred to as visions. The more energetic the power plant, the stronger the information and visions, and also the more dangerous the plant. For example, one such power plant is the famous mescaline cacti known as peyote. Shamans have used peyote cactus as a teacher and advisor for centuries trying to coax the spirit of the power plant to reveal the many secrets that it holds of this world and other worlds. This power plant can be thought of as a portal of information between the worlds. The shaman uses and treats this power plant with great respect and honor, only seeking its assistance with absolute impeccability and sincerity. They know to do this in any other way would result in a horrific experience and even death. The spirit of this power plant is so strong and defined that it has been given a name by Toltec shamans who respectfully refer to it as Mescalito. Although most power plants tend to fall into the category of psychotropics, such as peyote, psilocybin, datura, ayahuasca, and marijuana, there are many that do not, such as tobacco, ginseng, and surprisingly, jalapeno peppers. So now that we have a basic understanding of the difference between power plants and herbs, what is the proper method for their harvesting and empowerment and use? Let me start by telling you a story of how not to harvest herbs or plants. On one of my many excursions with my own shamanic teacher, we traveled to a spot in the Anza Borrego Desert to harvest some datura, also known as jimson weed. After listening to my teacher explain the do's and don'ts of the plant harvesting for the entire length of our two-hour drive, I finally said, Come on, are you telling me that a plant growing in the middle of the desert not only knows I am about to remove it, but that it could actually harm me? My answer was a silent stare that cut right through me, a stare that I knew all too well. At that moment, I wished I'd kept my doubting thoughts to myself, for I knew this was going to be one of those types of lessons, the type that always has a price, 
and is often associated with fear or pain. We pulled into an area where we could park the car and continue walking through the chaparral until we came to an area that had a high concentration of Choya cactus. Now, I'm not sure how many of you are familiar with the Choya cactus, but in my opinion, it is the most god-awful plant ever to grow on the planet. Growing up in the desert, I've had uh, many confrontations with this uh, cactus, uh, many accidents and much pain associated. The Choya is actually very beautiful and has a kind of an alien appearance. Growing usually no more than four or five feet tall, it spreads its one inch in diameter branches out in all directions. These branches are completely covered with razor sharp micro barbed needles about one to two inches in length with the diameter and strength of a sewing needle. The thing about these needles that I dislike the most is that they are so sharp that the slightest touch drives them under your skin even through Levi's. Once they penetrated the skin the microbarbs hold tight like a fishing hook. You have to take pliers to pull out a single barb and man does it hurt. To make matters worse they have a, a venom that feels like a bee sting. On one occasion when I was in high school, I walked out of my house barefooted, not seeing the two-inch section of Choya branch that had broken off and rolled on my doorstep under the force of the wind until it was too late. The pain was excruciating. I had to take a dinner fork and slide it between my foot and the body of the cacti and pull so hard that the fork bent in half, and then I had to pull the rest of the barbs out with a pair of needle-nose pliers. It was the worst Choya event I had ever encountered. My foot swelled up. Uh, it was throbbing pain. The, um, the only thing I'd ever seen that was worse involving a Choya happened with my dog. He went out into the chaparral one night and, and came back yelping on three legs with his rear leg tucked underneath him and pinned to his privates with a cluster of Choya the size of my fist. Yes, indeed, it's such a lovely plant. But I am digressing way too much for this story. Um, I knew my teacher had chosen this spot for a reason. The reason was to teach me a lesson that I would not soon forget. There, around a slight hill, was a very large datura plant, sitting right in the middle of a cluster of four-foot-tall choya cacti. There was about eight feet between the choya, so I was not too concerned, as only an idiot would walk too close, you know, to cause any kind of problems. My teacher nodded toward the datura and said, go get it. I grabbed my cloth sack and shovel, and he stopped me and said, no, just go get it. I looked at him, wondering what he meant, and he explained that I was to be brutal and grab the plant at its base and yank it out of the soil and then walk back. I thought to myself, this can't be good. But I did as he said and I, I grabbed the plant and yanked. The first attempt failed and I damaged the plant and cut my hand. 
The second attempt with two hands proved to be successful. I stood there a moment with the damage plant in my hand, half expecting to be struck by lightning when I heard my teacher laughing. He said in his most feminine voice, You are such a brute, Marcos. Just then I turned to walk back to the car and before I got two steps away, I felt a stinging pain in my right calf muscle. When I turned suddenly to see what it was that uh, something hit me in the butt with the same stinging pain. And then again in the kneecap. I found in all these places a single choya needle embedded about a quarter inch under my skin, except on the kneecap that was in the bone. This actually is a common phenomenon indigenous to the choya cacti. When it gets hot, as it was that day, the pressure under the needles get very high and they will occasionally explode outwards as far as 10 feet like a dart from a blowgun. Usually it is the wind or air currents or something passing too close that triggers the ejection, but today there was no wind and I was several feet away. I reached to pull out the most painful one on my knee and was hit again, so I started to run out of the area, stumbling almost immediately and falling face first toward one of the large choya cacti. I'm still not sure exactly what happened next, but as I was about to encounter a head-on collision with the dreaded choya, something or someone pulled me backwards with such a force that I found myself sitting on the ground six feet away from the cactus. My teacher was at least 20 feet away, and so he could not have physically pulled me. And later he would not comment on what happened, but I know he did something. He did something to save my butt. For the entire duration of the two-hour trip back, he insisted that I, talk, I not talk about it. He made me sit and hold the datura, which I felt stupid doing, but he, he made me sit and hold the datura plant and apologize in every way possible to the spirit of the datura for being such a thoughtless barbarian. He said, with any luck, she, referring to the spirit of the datura, will forgive me and spare my life. He had a twinkle in his eye on that comment, so I knew he was joking, I think. The point of the story is to always honor the plant or herb that you harvest, whether it be a mint leaf or a powerful psychotropic, and always ask permission before doing so. Afterwards, give thanks to the universal spirit of the plant and never take more than you need. This will ensure your medicinal or magical success and protect your own energy body from negative effects at the same time. After you harvest your plant, the next step would, uh, would be physical preparation which varies from plant to plant and includes uh, drying, cleaning, chopping or grinding and uh, separation of root, stem, leaf and seeds, you know that type of thing. The various methods for different plants will be covered in detail when my book comes out containing many of these word-of-mouth teachings. After the physical preparation is complete comes the most important and often overlooked step of all. The plant or its parts must be empowered 
so that the properties of the plant are greatly magnified. This can be done by a shaman that has energy manipulation abilities, or it can be accomplished by anyone placing the plant or its parts in a cloth bag and hanging it at least six feet off the ground tied to the trunk or large branch of any tree except the elm. The bigger the tree, the better. This is then left in place for an entire lunar cycle before it can be removed. During this time, the life force of the tree will flow into the plant and merge with the life force of the plant, creating small vortexes of chi energy that emulate the magical properties of the plant, similar to how a, a strong magnetic field will in time magnetize the molecules of iron, emulating the lines of magnetic force. Using this method will greatly multiply the effectiveness of any plants or herbs you use for both uh, healing and magical work. Try it. You will feel the difference the very first time. The shaman are masters at uh, herbal magic and medicine, and it would take me hours and hours to even scratch uh, the surface of their knowledge. So at least until my book comes out, I will just make mention of a few never-before-published Toltec shamanic herbal concoctions. One classic example is the Toltec summoning smoke. It consists of a mixture of one single datura leaf, dried and finely chopped, a sprig of wormwood finely chopped, and about a half inch chunk of copal coarsely ground into a powder. Copal is a, uh, is a resin uh, found in uh, trees in Mexico and Central America. To this, you add uh, about a half a handful of any type of sage leaf available, coarsely ground. Mix this up, blending it together with a focused intent of the desired results, which in this case is the summoning of an entity. And when you burn it on a charcoal block or a uh, small uh, open fire, you perform your summoning mixture the way you uh, uh, your summoning ritual the way you normally would. Just burn this on the block or in a small fire. Um, one word of advice here, be careful in what you're summoning. This stuff works and sometimes works too well. Another example of a totally unheard of Toltec mixture is an extremely powerful and effective aphrodisiac using three ingredients that can be ingested or burned as an innocent, unsuspecting incense. I bet that woke a lot of you up. Yep, little will your mate know that the sweet-smelling incense smoldering in the burner is about to cause an intense smoldering in another vessel. But before you start making plans, uh, let me explain that one of the ingredients of this mixture is very hard to find and um, it exists only in one part of the world. It is the entire body of a grub worm that is indigenous to Mexico and Central America. I'm currently attempting to procure a source for this ingredient and 
once I do, I will be offering it on my websites, uh, sacredsoils.com and theshamansbrew.com for that and whatever other ingredients that it uh, may take will, will be available on my website at that time. But I'm so far I've not procured it, so you'll just have to keep checking my website and see when it uh, becomes available. The other um, two ingredients of this uh, aphrodisiac incense are dried damania leaves and small mesquite shavings. A tea can be made with this mixture and sipped for but for best results it should be burned as an incense. Again, this and many other healing, magical, and other herbal shamanic mixtures will be revealed in my uh, future books. In summary, know the difference between herbs and power plants before working with them and always, always, always harvest them by asking permission first and then thanking them for sacrificing their lives for your cause and never take more than you will need. Then prepare the plant in the proper way for its use and then charge the plant within the energetic field of a large tree for an entire lunar cycle. I might add too that when you uh, store the plant it should be stored in a glass jar in the darkest area you can find or cover it so that light cannot filter in. You will find a dramatic increase in your herbal work if you follow these guidelines. On that note I would like to take this opportunity to throw in a story about my teacher, myself, and an earthworm. One summer day, my, my teacher and I were walking to the park in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, where I live. Walking along the street, I noticed a small earthworm trying to make its way across the hot pavement while cars zoomed by. I immediately raced out into traffic and picked up the worm and brought it to safety, placing it on some moist grass. Thinking that I had executed a very honorable and noble deed, I turned to my teacher to receive his acknowledgments of praise, but instead he stared at me intently and said, Why did you do that? I was set back by his statement and didn't answer until he repeated his question again. I said, To save the worm's life, of course. His chances of survival were next to none. My teacher objected to my action, stating that how did I know that the worm wanted to be saved? Perhaps it was time to die, and that I had no right to alter its destiny. He continued saying that if the worm had enough personal power, it would have made it on its own, and if it did not, then it would meet its destiny and die. With an audience of about six people listening to our debate about the life of a worm, it became a, I became a bit angry and replied back that how does he know that the worm's personal power was not sufficient to save its life? After all, I was able, it was able to capture my attention and cause me to take the life-saving actions. To me, that sounds like one damn powerful worm. My teacher scoffed and said, Marcus, come, I will buy you lunch. I knew right then that I had finally won the debate. The topic that I would like to present is this. 
Is it right to use your own free will to alter the destiny of another? And in doing so, do you change the destiny? Or is your action part of the natural flow of destiny? Thank you for listening. I hope I have helped to illuminate your path through this amazing, magical universe. Now before we continue on this journey of discovery, and I share with you some of the secrets of shamanic awareness, why don't we take a little break and, and listen to a song called Artemis, performed by a good friend of mine, Wendy Rule.
one thing in your life. Fear the jinn. An ancient Arabian legend says that God made humans from mud and clay, angels from light, and the jinn from smokeless fire. In the Western world, many people readily accept the idea of angels and demons, but most have no knowledge of the jinn, called God's other people. According to legend, the jinn were the first inhabitants of this world, where they lived for thousands of years before humanity arrived. In order to make room for humans, angels took the jinn out of this world and placed them in a dimension that parallels our own. There they stay hidden from our view. They have the ability to see and interact with us, but we have difficulty seeing them. They are cloaked in mystery, and it suits their covert purpose. The goal of most jinn is to retake this world, which they feel rightfully belongs to them. In order to succeed, they must first make humanity give up stewardship of this reality. They are accomplishing this by stealth and disguise. They have great powers and plenty of time, for they live for centuries. Shapeshifting Jen may be responsible for many forms of paranormal phenomenon and experience, such as UFOs, shadow people, ghosts, poltergeists, and demonic possession. In such ways, they gain access to us that enables them to steal our life force and information about us and to manipulate and use us without revealing their true form and purpose. These negative experiences are on the rise. In their new book, The Vengeful Gen, authors Philip J. Imbrogno and Rosemary Ellen Guiley, two of the leading experts on the paranormal, present the findings of their in-depth investigation of the gen. Who they are, what they're doing, and how can they be countered? Rosemary and Phil have established GenUniverse.com as an educational website about these mysterious and powerful beings. To learn more about the Jinn and their actions in our world, be sure to order your copy of their groundbreaking and revealing book, The Vengeful Jinn, on the link provided on the homepage. All copies are autographed by both Rosemary Ellen Guiley and Phil Imbrogno. So be sure to visit GenUniverse.com. That's D-J-I-N-N-Universe.com. The Jinn may be one of the greatest dangers to ever present itself to the human race. Now their mask is off. I would like to invite you to walk with me along a path of shifting awareness and alternate realities as I take you into the inner world of the shaman. Shaman around the world are known by many names. Medicine men, brujo, man or woman of knowledge, sorcerer, and healer. They can be found on every continent and in every culture, each following their own variation of spiritual beliefs and shamanic techniques. The shamanic 
spiritual belief structure is the oldest in known human history, making it, in essence, the oldest religion. Despite the wide cultural diversifications, shamans of all paths have a very similar technique and understandings of the universe, both visible and invisible. It is as if they are drawing upon the same knowledge base from the Earth Mother and other spiritual planes of vibrational awareness. To these shamans, our physical world is but one of many worlds, all existing in the same place, harmonically oscillating just out of interactive range with every other dimensional world. These multi-dimensional worlds, or rings as I prefer to call them, are distinct and separate from each other, but yet connected through the buffering zones that lie between them, allowing for an exchange of energy and information. It has been my personal observation to note that these worlds or rings seem to grow larger in size and content as you ascend higher in the harmonic frequencies. For example, the ring above our physical world, known by some as the astral world, seems to be at least four times larger than our own physical universe. I know it's, it's hard to understand how these seemingly infinite proportions can be compared to the single observational point of one observer without traversing the entire vastness of either world. But for that dilemma, I offer you this perspective known by all shamans. Our perception of the physical world through our senses is severely limited and often confused in illusion. If we were to depend on the same perceptions through our five senses as we entered another dimensional ring, such as the astral world, we would be totally confused and lost. When we move our awareness to these higher or lower worlds, we do so by expanding our own human awareness, which in turn gives us perceptions of time and space far beyond everyday normal awareness. For example, time does not flow in a linear path in other dimensional worlds or rings. You can see with your astral awareness in directions that take a while to get used to. For example, you can look at a plant or person and see not only that side of it that you're facing, but also the back of it at the same time. You generally also pick up information about that person or thing in a manner that is best described as just a knowing. Shamans see and interact with the, these other worlds to gain knowledge, to gain power, and to solve problems in the physical world. Shamans know that all illness first manifests in the other worlds and then trickles down into our own physical reality. So they perform many healings by attacking the problem at its source where it can be more easily manipulated and corrected. Also, many times a person can develop problems with their energy bodies and become detached or rather out of vibrational sync with the physical body. When this happens, the shaman may have to journey into the other worlds to, faci to facilitate the necessary vibrational adjustment and bring the person's mental or physical health back into harmony by centering their energy or spirit bodies. But how then does a shaman travel to these worlds and other rings of harmonic vibrations? 
They accomplish this feat by shifting their awareness away from the physical reality and quieting their mind's view of the physical world. Everything that we know of the world around us is projected inside our minds by what we have been taught since birth. This structured reality of our physical world is held in place by an endless stream of internal thought that goes on constantly within our minds, sustaining our world as we know it and effectively filtering out all the other worlds around us. It is our harmonic oscillation of awareness that allows us to perceive each of these other worlds. So when a shaman or person travels to these other worlds, they are in essence altering their awareness in order to perceive and interact with these worlds. There are many ways used by the shaman to quiet this internal dialogue of sustaining chatter, including meditation, stimulation of the senses such as chanting or drumming or dancing, and the use of psychotropic mind-altering plants. I do not recommend the use of psychotropic plants to the beginner. They should only be used by the very experienced shaman or under strict supervision of a skilled shamanic teacher. The reason for this is because the danger involved is great with using these plants and because there is a certain discipline needed to make a coherent connection with the spirit of the plant, which is absolutely necessary if you are to have a controlled shift of awareness. To use these psychotropics without respect or discipline results in either a bad trip, a dumbfounded stupor, or death. So stay away from this form of awareness shifting unless you have a qualified teacher. The other two methods although being safer, still have their drawbacks due to the level of practice needed to achieve repeatable results. In chanting or drumming, the shaman moves his body and mind into a focused state of resonance with the sounds, thereby essentially drowning out the internal dialogue that sustains our perception of the physical world in our minds. The drumming usually is at a rate of approximately 4 beats per second, and after a certain amount of time, the shaman is able to drown out the internal thoughts and the world view collapses, allowing the awareness of perceptions from other worlds to enter. The meditation technique is often very effective, but requires discipline and practice to sustain that frame of awareness. Once the state of awareness is achieved by any of these methods, then the shaman has full access to the world of his choosing and can travel through and interact using his own personal energy. Because of the dangers or the necessary months or even years of practice required to achieve the ability to quiet the mind and shift one's awareness, most people are left behind and only able to read of these things, never tasting the thrill of traveling beyond the world to places of power and mystery beyond our wildest dreams. This is indeed a sad state of affairs for most people, but it does not have to be. We as human beings are evolving to realize energies and places beyond our physical bodies. There are now tools at our disposal that can accelerate the rate of our own personal evolution, dramatically reducing the time it takes to shift our awareness in the ways of the shaman. In as little as two weeks, 
I can show you how to achieve the same state of awareness that it takes the average shaman five years to accomplish. And that's just the beginning. This is not to say that you will have all the knowledge and abilities of a shaman, but you will have the tools needed to go as far as you want. You are only limited by your own beliefs. In the words of the great researcher in human consciousness, Robert Monroe, the greatest delusion is that mankind has limitations. The tools used to accelerate our human abilities of awareness are the result of a major technological breakthrough discovered by uh, Robert Monroe, who built an entire nonprofit research facility in Virginia called the Monroe Institute. What Mr. Monroe discovered and developed was an audio process known as Hemisync. This technology makes possible the controlled evolution of the human mind, giving us all the ability to alter our own realities. This is just the tip of the widespread and far-reaching applications that this technology can open up for you. To best describe Hemisync in the most accurate manner, I will draw upon the Monroe Institute's own description of the Hemisync technology. Hemisync is a trademarked, state-of-the-art audio technology based on the natural functioning of the brain that encourages coherent brainwave activity. Our brains produce waves or patterns of electrical energy. Different patterns indicate different mental states, such as rest, which is called occipital alpha, deep sleep, or central delta, meditation, central and frontal theta, physical activity, widespread beta. Hemisync's audio binaural beats influence these brainwave patterns and in concert with other components of the hemisync process provide experiences in the focused states of consciousness. Used at the Monroe Institute, hemisync becomes part of an entire learning process, a combination of multiplexed audio, binaural beats, and pink sound or music, verbal suggestions, relaxation exercises, guided imagery, group dynamics, and, and an educational curriculum, all carefully crafted to engender first-person experiences of focused states of consciousness. Hemisync influences brainwave patterns and alters states of arousal. Hemisync programs provide participants with the opportunity to experience focused states of consciousness. Hemisync does not employ the use of sub subliminal suggestions. Hemisync is designed for listening through stereo headphones or properly placed stereo speakers. The versatility of Hemisync gives the basic technology an almost limitless range of applications for mental, physical, and emotional well-being. The technology simply and effectively allows you to evolve into your own capabilities and direct them as you choose. It can be compared to a powerful software program that facilitates extraordinary levels of performance and productivity guided by the intention and desire of the listener. In addition to verbal instructions, this auditory guidance process involves carefully constructed blends and sequences of stereo sound patterns 
designed to evoke beneficial brainwave states through neurological mechanisms. Right and left auditory input is combined in the brain stem's superior olivary nucleus and rooted to the reticular formation that in turn uses neurotransmitters to initiate changes in the neurological activity in the thalamus and cortex. Now, what this essentially means to you is that by using hemisync programs, you can achieve states of awareness similar to that of a shaman in only a matter of minutes. And even more important is that you can train your mind and body to duplicate these states of awareness with mental command triggers and not even need the hemisync signals to alter your awareness after a few weeks of practice. It is advised to use these tools even after this uh, training and to further expand your abilities with the many programs that the Monroe Institute offers. But again, this depends on how far you want to go. If you would like to learn more about Hemisync and the Monroe Institute, you can visit them online at www.monroeinstitute.org. Also, if you would like to learn more about how to use this technology and apply it to shamanic, uh, magical, or spiritual work, I would be happy to help you in that area, and you can reach me at mark at theshamansbrew.com. Thank you for joining me on this journey of discovery. Until next time, may the winds of awareness fill your sails and carry you to other worlds and magical places. I would like to thank you all for allowing me to share some of my knowledge and experience with you. And I'm going to close this show out now with a song called Coyote Dance, performed by Robbie Robinson and the Red Road Ensemble. Until next week, this is Marcus Leader, and you have been listening to The Shaman's Brew on the Jackalope Radio Network. <laughs>